The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. Hope your week is off to a great start. Got a great guest today. Natalia Capolini is on the show. She's a startup founder, real estate investor, TV personality, owner of a full-service construction company called Curato Design Build based in Greater Los Angeles. She's a licensed general contractor and was recently featured on HDTV's series Build Me Up. She was also previously on Animal Planet's series called Animal Cribs. I remember that show both of which involve extensive and ambitious renovations on tight schedules for a variety of clientele. She currently serves as a co-host of the Startup to Storefront podcast, where she brings on business founders and they share their stories, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the untold challenges of scaling a business. We talk a little bit about that on the show, but it's primarily a conversation about mindset. And so that was my takeaway of talking with her. She's fairly young. She's in her mid to late 20s, and it was fun talking to her about the entrepreneurial mindset, how to overcome fear, limiting beliefs, something we talk about extensively on Dose of Leadership. So it was great to get her perspective on how she did that, how she took the leap, how she overcame or embraced the fear and uncertainty, if you will, and took the leap into entrepreneurship. A lot of great lessons, a lot of great leadership nuggets, a lot of great nuggets on overcoming, again, limiting beliefs in this episode. And it was really fun sitting down and talking with her, and I think you'll enjoy it as well. This show is brought to you by my sponsors, Equity Bank. It's been so awesome having Equity Bank sponsor well over 50 episodes now. For the past two years, in Equity Bank, they're a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest growing banks in the Midwest. They're now listed on the NASDAQ exchange. They got locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, with plans to expand even further. And clearly, this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, understands what it means to be an entrepreneur, what it means to understand to be a leader, check out my friends at Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. I really appreciate listening. If you haven't done so, subscribe, rate, and review and spread the word. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your spouse, tell a coworker about this show. Your word of mouth does wonders and keep me front and center. In the rankings, continuing to be a top 25 podcast in the business management category on podcast iTunes, and it's all because of you. Thank you for your support, and reach out to me at richard at doseofleadership.com or go to doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact form and let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. All right, let's get on with this conversation with Natalia Capolini here on Dose of Leadership. Natalia, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thanks, Rich. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk with uh, entrepreneurs, and um, I'm, I'm father of four daughters, and I'm always trying to push this kind of entrepreneurial mindset to my daughters. They haven't embraced it fully. Some have a little bit, but uh, I'm always—it's always fun to talk to uh, 
to women who've kind of branched out, started on their own. And you said something really cool in the pre-recording when we were talking a little bit about why you branched out and like you were kind of tired of working in the toxic culture of the real world and you stepped out on your own. So congratulations for that. How, tell me a little bit about that. When, when was that? How long ago was that? So when we moved to California in 2015, I immediately started working for a global project management company. And I, it was just, I was working insane hours for about three and a half years and things were being done that, you know, were very complicated and things that were being done that were a bit shady. And, and I, I wasn't on board and I thought, you know, all this stress is like stemming from these things that, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Well, it can just be simpler. You know, if you just, you just pay people on time. If you just uh, treat people fairly, you know, and and manage your expectations and and have trust back and forth, it doesn't have to be so hard. You know, my industry construction, I thought could be very very simple, and uh, so that's what I did when I went out on my own in 2018 and started Curado Design Build. Curado Design Build. Very good. And uh, it has been easy. It has been you know. Uh, really straightforward. And I have a great group of subcontractors. I have a great group that works for me, works with me, vendors, suppliers, clients, amazing clients. And it's been, it's been great. Um, and I did realize, you know, it, there is an easy way to do it. And it's a, it's just be fair and be a good person. And, you know, the work will come and everybody will be happy. <laughs> well, I love that. I mean, it's, it, you know, I love how you said that it was easy. I'm glad that the leap seemed easy for you. I mean, I mean, a lot of people, when they, you know, have, they feel that frustration of working in a toxic environment or they feel a calling maybe, or that I know I could do this better than, you know, I've had numerous entrepreneurs that I've talked to said that I, I know I can do this better. And I, I love that. That's a catalyst to get somebody to take the leap, but gosh dang, there's for everyone that takes the leap, there's probably four or five that get stuck and they don't take it. Was it easy for you to kind of leap off that clip, not knowing when the parachute's going to open? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was like, well, I'm, you know, tied to this salary that I'm getting right. Like twice a mm -hmm. month and like a steady paycheck, but I'm also working like 80 to 90 hours a week, yeah, barely second. sleeping up at 3 AM every, mm -hmm. every morning, flying back and forth from Northern California to Southern California on Sunday nights, like sleeping at the office. I mean, it was just stupid and you know, all for, for my life to be difficult still, because you know, you'd think you work that much and like you've got control over everything, but things were being done at the company outside of my realm and making my job harder. So it's like I'm working this hard and everything's harder. Why does it have to be like this? And so for me, the catalyst was, you know, if I jump and if I jump ship, so to speak, and start this on my own, the worst that that can possibly happen is, you know, I can't hack it and I go get a job somewhere. I could be a great senior project manager, site superintendent, you know, project executive, I could work for a startup in the space. You know, those were my options were like, well, if I fail, if I fail at this, I just go get a job. Like that was my, that was my, my thought process. And I'll be still in the same position I am now, just maybe at a way better firm with, you know, more happening. So. Yeah. I love that. My video is like, I'm turning into Star Trek here. All of a sudden, yeah. I'll keep going. Sorry, ghost -like. for, sorry for the distraction there, but sometimes I got this green scheme behind me and everything. Oh, wow. That was really weird. But um, I'll try to all fix good. this. For a second. But anyway, um, no, I mean, I think that the great thing about what you said there was it, well, it, what I heard from that was that you were pushed to a point where it was like, it's like, what have I got to lose? I mean, you went, it was so drastic to one end, right? I mean, it was like the, yeah. the scale was, 
I mean, to you, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm getting a steady paycheck, but my God, I'm, I'm, I'm already miserable. So what's, what's even the point? You know what I mean? So, but the tipping point was what I heard from that. And I think a lot of times everybody's got their limits. I mean, I guess it was a blessing that you kind of had such a crappy experience in the real world because it, it made the decision easier. So that's what I heard mm-hmm. from that. My husband always says you won't change something unless you hate it enough. That's right. That's absolutely right. You know, were you entrepreneurial as you were growing up? Were you surrounded by entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, tell me about that. Yeah. So my dad is a, actually an oceanographic engineer and he um, bought out his partner at his company in 2005 uh, and, you know, and like redid everything and, and scaled and invented new products, you know, in the product line. And that was a real inspiration always. He was always very entrepreneurial. Um, But I realized early on, you know, the legal working age in Massachusetts where I grew up was 14. And I realized, wait, you know, I can kind of do what I want and have more freedom if I'm making my own money. You know, I can control more of my life. So at 14, I I started working two jobs. I didn't have to. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, everything that all the essentials were covered. Um, you know, my, my schooling and, and like my car insurance, you know, as a teenager was, was covered. I just, I had to make money to do the things I wanted to do. You just wanted the money, right? And you saw that, you know, you could put the effort in and you could get paid doing it. Yeah. It's great. Right. I thought, okay, here's, here's a lever. And if I just push it, Mm -hmm. you know, I can do whatever I want and, you know, and buy, buy what I want, save for what I want. Like, this is great. Um, and I've always kind of had a work, a strong work ethic where it's like, I'm not, not lazy. Like I couldn't just sit yeah. still, yeah. uh, bit ADD in that, in that sense. <laughs> right. But at least you had For that sure. great example of your father. who's like you know, a strong work ethic there. You're like, Hey, something clicked when you're 14. Okay. I'm going to do this. And I'm at least going to have spending money and do what things I want to do as the dream started to get formed from that point on. So now you're kind of graduating high school, you're in college. And what was the dream then? I mean, what, what were you kind of saying? Okay, this is, this is what I want to be. Yeah, sure. So when, you know, in in high school, when your guidance counselor, you know, gives you different options or ideas or whatever about Mm -hmm. what your path might be and what it might look like, I just, I, I kind of never really had examples that were, that were different where it was like, you know, somebody close to me had either dropped out of college or had gone for one thing and then their career took a totally different turn and they're doing Mm -hmm. something else that they love. I never really had examples like that. It's like the people that I knew, the adults that I knew who had gone to med school were doctors. The ones who went to law school were lawyers. The ones who went to school to be a teacher were teachers. You know, so I didn't really have an example of people that went to school for something, but that, you know, like you don't have to be stuck by that. You don't, the major you choose is not like a life sentence. Like you don't have to, to stay with that. So my, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I was in high school. My parents said, well, you're good at art and you're good at math. So why don't you try to be an architect? And I was like, yeah. I mean, I'll give it a go and see how, you know, see how it goes. I've always loved like building things and making things my whole life. And it really was great. The schooling was great, but I realized that the part of architecture of, you know, where you're, it, it's, it's more like fantasized, you know, fantastical, like, yeah. like the old, the old uh, master architects that, you know, of the, of the thirties, forties, like they were, you know, just this, these icons. And now with everything being on computers and whatnot, it's more monotonous and uh, democratized, so to speak. I mean, you're just, you have standard details for standard projects and there might not be a lot of room for creativity, but on a construction site, there's actually quite a bit uh, of room for creativity. And uh, that's what I love about it. Yeah. I never even thought about it in that way. Obviously, I, I don't know much about architecture. I love studying it and reading about it. Obviously, I'm a big Frank Lloyd Wright fan and you're right. And I was thinking about that, like, you know, 
where are those next people? You're right, because things are so computerized. I mean, think about how they created things. And that's everybody. I mean, from creating an automobile to an airplane to a, a massive building or a structure, it took a great deal of artistry behind that, right? And, and oh, now yeah. It seems like maybe now some of that's – I never maybe I'm speaking out of naivete of this, but it's like it's – some of that's got to – had to been sucked away from the automation and the computers, right? Right. And in school, you know, studying Frank Lloyd Wright and Zaha Hadid and these these greats and Frank Gehry, you're you're looking at these like iconic buildings. But, you know, when you actually look at the percentage of, of those projects versus, you know, like a standard office build out, you, it's actually more so that it's more so like to get those top jobs. I mean, and you you spend a lifetime working towards that yeah. or you're on the building side thinking creatively how to make how to put you know the lines on paper into reality and build them in a really meaningful way and maybe it doesn't always work on on plan or on you know on the on the computer but it works in real life if you do this this and this maybe there's other ways to do things so on the job site on the construction site there's a lot of room for creativity and uh, play and making things better yeah i like that i mean i can imagine that as a, it, it sounds like you have a creative gene um, and doing construction kind of scratches that itch, right? I mean, it allows you to, yeah. to, to be, you know, and every, I'm sure every situation is different. No two job sites are the same, right? Right. Yeah, I like that. Right. So you said you were good with your your hands and stuff as a kid and building things. Were, were you kind of a, a handy person around and, and fixing things? I mean, were you, did you do stuff with wood? And I mean, what was that like? I mean, or did you just, yeah. kind of, when you, did you kind of fall into construction as you, became entrepreneurial. Yeah, I would say that growing up, you know, it was more so like around crafts and things like that. Like I watched my dad build a tree house, you know, in our backyard and tried to help out a bit mm-hmm. here and there. He was always really good at uh, at cars and taking them apart and rebuilding them. He has a couple of old, old 60s Land Rovers uh, that he rebuilt from scratch and MG. And I actually really enjoyed that, you know, watching him like mm-hmm. take something that was, you know, didn't work, take it all apart, fix it all, rebuild it, put it back together. And it's this running thing, you know, re- really amazing. Um, and I sort of always kind of like took part in smaller projects, but it wasn't until college where, you know, we were building like wood models and things like that, where I really got to play with different materials and whatnot. And then, you know, as a, as an intern in college, being on the job site and getting to, you know, like help out with different details and things like that. And I just, I've always been very crafty and, and, but I think my handiness kind of came with the job, like learning, learning on the job really. And what, so when I look at the business that you, that you're doing now, and do you say Curado? Is that how you say it? Or Curado. Curado. What is, mm-hmm. what are you trying to accomplish with that business? I mean, what is your um, branding edge or your competitive edge? I and mean, what, what do you hope to do with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I look at, I think I look at construction differently. Like it's a group, it's a group effort. Mm-hmm you know, that I possibly can, which is a finished building, a finished space. Um, and I think what I bring to the table is, you know, the, the, the design mind, the design education, but the practicalities of construction and buildability and feasibility and as it relates to cost and, um, you know, accessibility and always like pushing the edge on, on innovative products. Um, you know, for example, we had an architect spec on our most recent project, which is a law firm build out, um, a a product, a wood ceiling product by, by Armstrong, but it's like $75 a square foot and it takes 15 weeks to get. So we found after a lot of research, R and D trial and error, 
found a comparable product that was even more beautiful, half the cost, half the time frame to get. And it's being installed right now and it, it looks amazing. And the client and the architect are both super excited about it. And I just love those wins, you know, mm -hmm. where the architect loves it. The owner loves it and loves the price savings. And it's easier for us to install, quicker for us to install. So it's just like everyone in, on the team is is satisfied and it's a better, better result. So I love those wins. And I think that's what I really... I really try to go after and pride myself on. So two years into this business, practically two years in a, in a month, basically that you've had this business, nine months of that have been dealing with uh, a state that is just you know severely challenging and locked down. How has that affected your business and, and projects and everything else? Um, well, I feel really lucky to be in the commercial space mostly because yeah. if I had been in residential, you know, it's tough to go into people's homes during a pandemic while they're home, working from home, you know, that, that really wasn't an option for many months of this, of this year. So I'm really uh, fortunate to be in the commercial part of the industry. I was working on a big project up in San Jose uh, for a computer manufacturer when this hit and they were already working remotely. Um, and they had asked, well, are you good, you know, to keep going? Like we want to finish and, and get the space turned over. And we have servers that have to go there to keep our clients happy. Um, and we looked at it and we were like, we scaled back our, uh, our personnel, our manpower on site. We scheduled people at different shifts. So they weren't there at the same time. Um, everyone respected social distancing guidelines and wore masks. And we said to our subcontractors as you know, the client said, we can keep going. If you're okay with that, we can keep going, but only if you guys feel comfortable. And our, my subcontractors, three of them, three of the trades said, you're the only job that's still going and we still need to feed our people. Mm. So we will gladly keep going. You know, we, you're the only one that, that it wants to keep going. Everyone else, these big institutions have shut down. So yeah, we'll, we'll gladly keep going. And we finished that project with only a minor three week delay, um, which was great. And then rolled into the next one. That's so. great. I didn't know if California would, would place any restrictions on you as a, as a, is it considered an essential business, I guess, construction and everything else? I don't, I don't know how the rules work for that and what California was specifically yeah. doing. But Construction construction was considered a, an, an essential Good. business, and we gave all of our subcontractors letters to carry with them if they mm -hmm. ever got stopped and were asked, you know, where are you going in the early days when there was a, a heavy lockdown um, that said, you know, you're working on this project at this location for these hours and you're authorized to work as an essential business. And is design build all in one place? If I come to your business and um, I only ask this because one of my sponsors is like that here locally, they're a construction company and they, and they pride themselves on uh, design and build all in one shop. Mm -hmm. Is that a rarity or is it, I mean, so that, um, to me, I think that gives a competitive edge. I mean, just kind of asking a, yeah. a geeky question here. I just don't know. I mean, is that, is that something unique in, in your field? It, it is. Um, there are some GCs that just want to do the build and mm -hmm. they don't want to have any part of the design. But for me, it's like if I can have the design in house and I can Absolutely. I can offer that service and collaborate with the architect um, to deliver a better set of drawings. It's just more cohesive and there's less changes and less surprises. But if an owner comes to me and says, I really want you to build my project, but, you know, you have to use my architect and I'm going to hire them. Well, it is what it is. It's fine. You know, yeah. it's up to them. But yeah. I always caveat that if we're in the same contract or brought in early enough, 
that a lot of uh, issues that might come up can be resolved before they become issues in the yeah, field. For sure. And do you do you do any of the designing or is it do you have architects within? Yeah, I have a licensed architect that I work with, a couple licensed architect that I work work with um, because I I don't have the license and I don't need to get the license if I'm, yeah. you know, hiring them. Um, and I don't have any desire to take those exams. You know, yeah, I don't have anything right. to prove on the design side. Yeah, I, yeah, right. I put in my two cents um, and I do, you know, I'll do test fits for offices yeah. just to show them, okay, well, this is what you could get in with this, this furniture. This is how many desks you could get, things like that. But the real architecture work, um, the code stuff, I leave to them because it's a continuing education thing as well. So they get you know, updated tests every year and they have to stay just like the tax code, just like accountants, yeah. you know, they have to stay updated on the codes every year. And that's just something I'm not, not able to, to keep within my own wheelhouse well, <laughs> on the top yeah. of everything else. And plus it would detract you from your CEO duties, which are broad, ever changing and dynamic, you know, your right. energy needs to be focused on that. So speaking of that, what, what have you, what has been maybe the biggest surprise um, or the, or even the biggest challenge or obstacle being the CEO of this company? Sure. I think hiring is um, it's so challenging, absolutely challenging. Um, I've had a couple, you know, instances where I've hired people and they haven't worked out. They've decided the startup life was not for them mm -hmm. and wanted to go back to working at institutions or big companies, big, big companies with lots of structure. Um, so I always ask that up front, you know, whether and, and have people shadow me on, on a job site for a few days and see like, this is the environment. Like, this is what it is. These are, these are the people that are working here. This is the kind of stuff we're doing. So, and it's, and I don't have all the, you know, procedures and everything in place or templates, but it's room, it's room for people to grow. Um, and I think hiring has been the most challenging and the most surprising thing of all. Um, I have found people that think like me and, you know, they, they see the job the way that I do or see it in a different way where it brings more to the table. And that's been amazing. But I think it's, it's just like a constant, it's like a roller coaster, you know, up and down where I think, oh, these two people are going to work out. This is going to be great. And then it's like, mm, maybe not, maybe they're, they're not cut out for it, or I'm not cut out for managing them in this way or whatever it may be. Um, I think that, yeah, hiring has been the most surprising, but also the the biggest challenge at the same time. Well, that's the old cliche, right? I mean, good work is hard to find, right? And a lot of times, Very. and it's like, you, it's, I found that you have to almost, you have to think six months ahead of like where you want to be six months from now. And the right. challenge is no one ever get, they're always hiring for the next week or the next month or the next project. And somehow if you can get a staff where if you can, and it takes a tremendous amount of visualization and faith like i'm going to be here in six months and you're betting on the come because you don't know but if you right. can have a team that's ready for that next six months i think that's it's hard to get there though but it's easier said yeah. than done and then finding good people particularly even even particularly well i don't pre-covid where the unemployment rate was so low now you think it would be easy you know but it is it's a challenge i hear you so what um as a we were talking too in the pre-recording when we were talking, getting to know each other a little bit more, that I said I always liked hearing stories from entrepreneurs particularly in startups that at some point, you know, and the focus is always on the product, the brand, the marketing, you know, getting the next client and the cash flow and all these other things. And no one has or it feels like you don't ever have time to consciously or intentionally think about how to become a better leader. Some people don't even know what that means, right? 
And uh, I, I mean, you see examples all the time. I, my favorite one is if you look at kind of the classic examples, you look at something like Uber, where it was mm-hmm. all about Uber and the personality of the CEO and everything else. And then at some point, they just hit this this brick wall where he, he you know, his ineffectiveness as a leader just came glaring through, right? I guess my question to you is, have you had time to, to sit back and breathe and even evaluate? And sometimes they present themselves with challenges with individuals and job sites and things and your characters revealed in a stressful situation. Have you had kind of any kind of leadership aha moments during this journey so far? And it's still early. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one thing, you know, I, I'm very focused when I'm on, on the job and, mm-hmm. you know, my, it's like whatever it takes attitude to get, to get the project done, you know, I'll work crazy, crazy hours. And I kind of, I've always, I've kind of had this attitude where, you know, I don't have time for like small talk. I don't have mm-hmm. time for socializing at work. Like we're there to get a job done and construction moves very fast. And there's a lot of trades that are working in the same area and there's always so much work to be done. So project management, construction management is a ton of work. Yep. And so I think I've always been kind of of that mindset, but recently what I've started doing is doing like, like a happy hour every week, you know, with my close PMs that are on the job and just having like a decompressing time to really, you know, like they can vent, I can vent and we can talk about other things other than the job decompression together. And it, it really helps. It builds morale. Um, it makes everyone feel like they're on the same team. And I think it's really important to be able to do that. And so for me, you know, just starting out, I thought, well, everyone's going to be my, like me and this sort of like focused <laughs> yeah. job robot that's going to, you know, but it's mm. like, that's not practical. That's just me in my head. Right. And I would be a robot if I had the choice, but like, that's not <laughs> normal. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. No, I get that. I, and I think back to my leadership examples in, in uh, both the Marine Corps and in, and in the corporate environment. And I just thought, I just thought everybody saw the world like me. And then if everybody saw the world like me, what a beautiful world it would be. Right. And that's kind <laughs> of a, a faulty way to approach leadership and looking at it and realizing then the challenge is exercising that EQ, that emotional intelligence muscle and trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and different personalities and different mindsets and different life experiences. And it's, I think that gets to the heart of why leadership is so hard, you know, and particularly if you're task oriented like yourself, like, you know, you've done so much 
you've done everything yourself. You, you've proven that you can do things yourself. I would imagine you probably fight that like, well, it'd just be easier if I just do this myself instead of trying to teach, oh, a, yeah. teach a man to fish type thing. Right. And yeah, God, that's, probably- and I realize it's so rewarding when you can say, when, you know, somebody asks you a question and you you say, Oh no, no, no. My assistant can handle it. Like I trust them implicitly. They can <laughs> right. get this done. I trust their opinion, whatever they say goes. Right. And to get to that point, And I feel like I'm such a control freak, but to get to that point where I can say that it feels good to say that. Like I, like I have, you know, full faith in this person because I've seen results. I've seen them get results. I've seen, you know, how their brain works and like they can do it. And I, they've proven that and to be able to trust that and see the result and be like, yep, this is how I knew you were going to do it. And it looks great. (laughs) So I love that. And that's been really rewarding. Well, that's refreshing to hear, particularly at least, you know, at least you're having the awareness of it, right? At least you're kind of catching yourself being the control freak and, and, you know, and I, I get that completely, but I I think it's for me, I make sure I don't beat myself up when I catch myself just the awareness is probably is, is a success right and then say oh and then if you can the more obviously you, and you're seeing the result of this like you said the more that you can pull back and decentralize the decisions or the actions and focusing on the intent it's scary though right because particularly oh, yeah. for someone like you that has that construction contrative mindset you can see how you want it to be the challenge is communicating that intent so people can carry it out that's the hard part of the job but you, you've said Absolutely. it yourself, if you, you, when you see the results and it happens well, it's, there's nothing better. It's, it's way better than if you did it yourself, I think. Way, right. way better, way more satisfying. Cause then I'm freed up and they're succeeding and it's yeah. great. Yeah. Have you, th- speaking of that kind of piggybacking on that, have you thought about, and I know this is early, your company's so early, but have you thought about who's going to be the person that's going to replace me? Not that they're ever going to replace you, but I think it's an, important as leaders to, at some point and particularly entrepreneurs to think, who's this person that can keep this legacy going if I get hit by a bus, right? You know, mm-hmm. or I'm taken out for nine months or, you know, cause the last thing we want to do is have everything dependent upon the Natalia to where if Natalia's out of the picture for a little bit, everything crumbles, right? That's the challenge. Yeah. Have you thought about I've that? had to start thinking about that. Cause we just, we just closed on a building, a group of us and we had to get life insurance policies. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. We're the sole owners of our businesses. Yeah. So I've definitely had to start thinking about that. Uh, but I think as I grow this structure, you know, and, and have um, different people that are helping me to manage and lead and build it up, I think that'll become more clear. For sure. I think right now it's not so clear, but I'm definitely thinking about it. But I, I'm excited that anytime I talk to somebody and I see, and it's only two years, and I love your kind of optimism, enthusiasm, particularly in kind of a crazy environment. It's like, it's almost like you said, yeah, what's the big deal? I started a business. But I think it's inspiring. I, what would you say to those people that are out there and particularly, I mean, can I, I know it's not appropriate to ask, but I need to know exactly how old you are. How old are you? 29. 29, right? I figured you were in your twenties and I think that's so awesome. Right. And so what would you say to some of those people that are around your same age, they're in college, maybe doing something that, you know, their parents are making them become a doctor or a lawyer, you know, but in, what would you tell somebody to kind of get them off get them off the X, get off center so they can start pursuing, pursuing that calling, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would say that 
the time is going to pass anyway. So you could have it, you know, it could pass while you're miserable in, you know, med school or law school or going to school for something that your parents, you know, that track they want you to do. Yeah. Or you could spend that time trying out something you have an inkling about that you're passionate about. And then if it doesn't work out, then you're back in the same spot and you're just, maybe you go the route that your parents wanted you to or thought you should. And you try that out, but at least you tried your passion first and you tried to chase that. And like, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you're back, you're back in the same spot in six months and you, you the time's going to pass anyway. So either, you know, start out miserable or, you know, start going after what you want. Um, I, I, I was in my second year of architecture school and I thought, I don't think I want to do this. Like, these, the, the architects I know, you know, are underpaid, overworked, they're miserable. Every single day looks the same. So, um, you know, I, I knew right away in college before even like going into the working world as an architect, why would I want to start out miserable? I mean, all of our professors were divorced. All of them were unhappy. And and they said, archi- they said blatantly, architecture does this to you. And I thought, oh why would God. I go into this knowing yeah. that, you know, why don't I try something else that I am more interested in? And then if it, if it fails or if I hate it, I just, I'll go back to that, you know, or do something different. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but I love your answer. And I love it for this reason, because you have, you seem like you have a tremendous amount and you have for quite some time, a tremendous amount of self-awareness. I don't know if you've been intentional about that or not, but that, I think that's, that's the, the key or the hang up why people don't do that. You know, to answer your question, that's what I heard in your answer is that we have this, well, and when I say self-awareness, aware, authentically aware of who you are and what you want. And that's where people get stuck, right? And so I don't know if you've intentionally done things ever since you were a kid or just kind of because of your environment and because of that great example of your father and everything else, you've just been blessed with some some great examples. Is that something you've been pretty intentional about? Or what do you think when you hear me say that? I think I've always been uh, pretty independent and, mm-hmm. you know, marched to the beat of my own drum. I can remember being in religion classes in Catholic school and uh, getting a note from my art teacher to skip and go to art class because I wanted to go to art class more than I wanted to go to religion class. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've always kind of like made my own rules or if rules were, were imposed on me, well, you know, there's got to be a way around this or something. I don't, t- I don't just accept like rules or roadblocks at face value. Like there's always got to be another way. There's always got to be a different, a different way to get around something or get through something. So I think I've always been sort of like that, but I think that in my, you know, in my early, early twenties, um, having the support system that I do mm-hmm. and having, you know, like choosing your partner very wisely. Mm-hmm. I mean, my husband has been like the biggest influence in my life and we got married. I was the only person that was continuously telling me like the world is your oyster. You can do anything you want. Like don't pigeonhole yourself. You know, you could start a company now. And I'm like, I'm 20, 22, 23. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> and just kind of like giving me that, that extra boost, because I think that we all kind of naturally have some sort of self doubt that lingers and you either feed it or you don't. You, if you, if you feed it, you're just going to be continuously unhappy and stuck and miserable. But if you don't feed it and you just say, no, 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 sorry, that feeling's not for me. I'm going to go my own way. And you feed the other part, the confidence, the, you know, the work ethic, the drive, what's working, then you're going to have a totally different experience and a different outcome. And so I think that maybe I don't always know the words, um, you know, and, and like how to describe what I'm feeling and things like that. But I always know whether something does not make me happy. Like I know what I want and I know what I don't want. So that's been sort of a driving force for sure. Well, I, I love your answer. And I guess 
the challenge always be, you're right. And, and I love how you said, it's probably the biggest lessons I've had on the show is like, everybody has limiting beliefs and, and self-doubt. I mean, I've had, you know, Steve Forbes told me on a daily basis, he has limiting beliefs and self-doubt. Right. And so that was kind of an aha moment for me eight years ago when he was on the show. And to hear you say that, and then the other thing I love that you say was picking your, your choosing your partner wisely. And a lot of times I think we pick partners because we're of a limiting belief or a sense of lack that we have, and we try to kind of feed that. And I, and I guess on a, some level that's okay, but like in your example, you, you picked a partner, like you said, that saw something which I think all leaders have an obligation to do. He saw something in you that you necessarily didn't see in yourself, and I think that's true with every human being, right? And if you can mm-hmm. surround yourself with people who are going to help extract that that's already inside of you. Like you've had that, like, it's not like, it's not like your husband came in and planted that inside of you. It's like, that was already there. He saw it. Your limiting beliefs didn't see it, which is, this describes every human being, right? And you, right. you surround yourself by that positivity and the someone that genuinely loves and sees something in you. Yeah. And it, and it comes forth. I, I mean, that I love that answer. It's a simple answer, but really, gosh, how many people pick the wrong partners, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, that can be detrimental. I almost did. I was in a really serious relationship for four years and there was a wedding planner and there was, mm -hmm. you know, a 300 person guest list. And I just said, you know, I think I'm making a huge mistake. And that was probably the best decision I've ever made. (laughs) (laughs) You sound very intuitive. I think that's another thing too. I think that's something you probably value is you probably value your intuition and your gut feel probably more than yeah. most. And I think that's kind of what I meant about the self-awareness. You seem like a very intuitive person. Is that a fair statement? I, yeah, I def- I think I definitely, you know, like if something doesn't feel right, then for me, it usually isn't right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, it, and, and I feel like I dodge bullets. Like it's, it's crazy. Like I'll, uh, either be an, an opportunity or a different client, like a certain client. And I'll just like, something isn't jiving. It's not making me excited. So I'm going to just like, table this. I don't, I don't think it's going to be right for me. And then something happens, you know, and I'm like, wow, I I almost walked into that. Like, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I had the foresight or, or maybe just, maybe just a strong gut feeling to say, yeah, that's like a sinking ship. I think I'm, I'm going to pass and then felt lucky that I did. So I don't know where that comes from. Um, but I'm very, I feel very lucky to have kind of that, that intuition. Yeah. That's a great, Great point too. I don't know where it comes from either. I think it's it's. I think it's one of those things that's already in, innately in us, right? I think that tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of years of evolution that it's something that we're kind of born with, you know, to make sure we don't get eaten by the saber toothed tiger, right? So I think, right. you know, yeah, it, instinct. In in as a pilot, that's something we're taught too. Is that we're taught to. I can't tell you how many times I was just talking with an aviator yesterday, another fellow pilot, and like how many times have we been in my 30 years of flying, have I felt something isn't right, you know, and we're taught to stop and pay attention. Wow. To that. And it's almost nine times out of 10, there's something that's wow. missing. And it's, and it's usually innocuous, but it's something, you know what I mean? But yeah, but disaster isn't, you, you know, things just don't blow up all at once. It's a series of inconsequential events linked together that eventually lead to whatever catastrophe. And so, and I think going the other way too, people feed into when that, when things don't go their way. Mm-hmm. You know, and they and they keep that negative outlook. You know, like if you mm-hmm. had those experiences and you just thought, why does this keep happening to me? You know, you something detrimental might happen in that scenario. Yeah, you're absolutely right. 
I love your outlook. I'm, I know that I didn't know the conversation would kind of go this kind of this psychoanalysis way of, kind of like <laughs> who we are as human beings. But I think it gets to the core, though, of of why you decided to become an entrepreneur, why you're so positive and at this young age and seeing things. I'm. I'm I wish I, I can't wait to check back with you in 10 years to see where your business has gone. And, you know, you've probably started another business or where, where else it is. I mean, do you see yourself being an entrepreneur for, for the rest of your life until the day you assume room temperature? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm pretty unhirable. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. I, and I, I mean, I think I mean that in the best way. Um, I, yeah, I, I couldn't do something that's, that's soul sucking. I couldn't, I couldn't be stuck again. I don't, I don't want to ever feel like that again. So, you know, the goal would be to work on projects I want to work on yeah. with who, who I want to work on, on them with and being able to just have that freedom of, of choice. And I think I'm already kind of starting to lean that way. You know, I don't, if something doesn't feel right, or if, I, if a client is already, you know, doesn't see the value that we're providing, then it's like, I'm out. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah. waste my time. And I think, you know, being selective, that's like the ultimate success when you can be super selective about what you give your time and energy to. That's, that's the goal for me. One thing I always like to ask people, particularly uh, young entrepreneurs like yourself, you, you seem like it's important for you to be part of something bigger than yourself. And I don't know if you intentionally think like that, but I'm just guessing based on our conversation, that seems important to you. Is that something that's important to you? Like be part of something bigger than just you, you know, and, and yeah. getting stuff and getting your name on <laughs> entrepreneur magazine and stuff like that. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It has to be meaningful work. It can't be, like I said, it can't be soul sucking and it can't be yeah. just for like capital, you know, or cash flow reasons. Uh -huh. It has to be more than that. It like, I mean, I'm building a law firm right now and it's not like, it's not like a standard law firm and it's not a standard client, you know, law client. They own the building. They bought this beautiful bow trust building. It's absolutely gorgeous, all open office. And they've never done this before. And I, I was just like, you know what? I could see them getting taken advantage of. And I think I'm like the person to do this job. Like this is, you know, these details that are not quite flushed out yet. Like I, I think I'm the person that they need to do this. And uh, it's been great. It's been a great project. It's coming out amazingly. I can't wait to share pictures and everything. But, you know, if I do something that might like sound cookie cutter, it's not for cookie cutter reasons or it's not mm -hmm. like it's definitely. Um, yeah, because I want to help somebody out or because I think it's a really unique project or it's mm -hmm. there's nothing like it um, or because I believe in their mission as a company. It's it's for a variety of different reasons, but it's not it's never just you know, renovate this apartment block and everything's gonna be the same. And it's just to like raise rents on people. Like I wouldn't, that's not something that gets me, you know, excited. Yeah. It's the opposite. I like that. And kind of piggybacking on that. What have you intentionally thought about what you want your legacy to be? I mean, I know when I was 29, I wasn't intentionally thinking about that, but have you thought about that? Like, what do you want people to say when you're 85, 90 years old? Yeah. I mean, so I've been asked before kind of like what my dream job or like, you know, what I would want to leave behind, but, but also what would be the most fun too mm -hmm. is like, to me, like building cities, mm -hmm. like building or redeveloping cities to make them work for people. Like if there's places that, you know, d d near each other that don't work, I, I would want to redo them or redo that like an area to make it work, to make it walkable if it isn't, for example, um, or to 
change anything. I think it was really influ- influenced by the big dig in Boston that oh, happened yeah. like 20 years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put the entire highway 93 North that ran through the city underground and previously and put a park on top. And previously, um, the, the North end and the waterfront neighborhoods of Boston were completely separated from the rest of the city, almost by like an elevated highway that was much like, you know, elevated high or uh, train tracks in, in mm-hmm. Chicago. And it just was, it was more dangerous on certain sides and certain areas. And you just had this thing through the middle of the city and separating all those nice places. And then when they put it underground, the city was like, completely transformed. I mean, there's parks up above, they do massive art installations up above. There's cafes that have, you know, in big squares up above this. Um, There's like seating everywhere and uh, fountains and gardens. And it's like, I can't imagine it any other way now because when I went to college in, in the city, it was already like that, but researching it and what they had to do to put that tunnel, that tunnel in and the divers. And I mean, it's just what a massive feat, but also, you completely re- rechange, you change the city for the better, for, for good. Um, and I think impactful projects like that on a large scale, urban development style projects, I think that kind of a legacy would be amazing. That's cool. I love that you're thinking big like that. And you're right. And it's funny. I hadn't thought about the big dig forever. Mm-hmm. I remember when they were probably knee deep into it. I don't know how many decades ago that was and just how people were complaining about it at the time. But, you know, the, the cool thing is, though, there was someone that had a vision and, you know, God, how long did the Big Dig take? I mean, it took forever and because it was such a mammoth project, 15, right? 15, 20 years. Yeah, you know. And, you know, we're in year 14. People are like, what the heck? You know, people trying to drive to work and they're <laughs> I'm tired of this freaking construction. You know what I mean? But the guy who probably had it and said, no, no, just hold on. You know, it's going to be great. And here you are as an example. You go to college when it's already done and you see you see the the benefits of it. Yeah. That's cool. I love that you're look you're thinking like that. Again, it's kind of something that I've talked about here on the show. It's I think the obligation that we have is making the place better than we found it and in utilizing your tools and working through that fear and uncertainty to make the place better. I mean, that's 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 what we should and if we're not doing that, I think we're shaming the universe. I honestly do. I think it's that's yeah. how we need to look at it. And if you're so if you're sitting there not taking the leap because you're afraid, well, shame on you, you know. Take the leap. You know? Absolutely. I think yeah. if we can, we have a responsibility to do. Absolutely. So. I think it's great. This conversation has been fun for me. I, I, I love hearing these kind of, these kind of, you know, neuro details about why people do what they do. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you seem like, you seem like one of the good ones and I'm, I'm so excited to see what the future brings for you. And uh, we ha- we'll have to make it a point. Uh, Ten years, I'll follow up if I'm still doing a show like this. <laughs> I'll see Absolutely. Where you're at. But I think you're going to do great things. I think your business is doing great things. What can people? Um, how can people learn more about your business and reach out to you? And what type of clients are you looking for? Sure. Um, so I think where we can make the most impact uh, is definitely you know in the commercial space, some residential, and looking to maybe expand that arm, but. At a, at a slow, at a slow pace, but on the commercial side, um, you know, I've, I've done everything from gyms, offices, uh, mixed use projects, um, coffee shops, like kind of all over the map stores. Um, so I think, you know, on the commercial side, definitely open to anything, uh, any, anywhere in California, mm-hmm. um, based in, in Los Angeles, but I have a big 
subcontractor base um, and vendor base up in the Bay Area as well. So in licensing California, so willing to, to go anywhere. Um, and I think my, my Instagram is probably the best place to find constant project updates, mm-hmm. which is at Natalia with a Y underscore Curato, C-U-R-A-T-A-O backwards here, but uh, you get it. And uh, my website, uh, curatodb.com, like design build Mm -hmm. is a place to, to find some updates, but more so on the Instagram because it's, it's daily to look into to my life and my projects and um, what's going on. Well, let's plug your podcast too. your fellow podcaster um, about 14, 16, 16 months old. I think I was looking at the time startup to uh, storefront, right? Storefront. Startup to storefront. So yep. tell me a little bit about that. How's that experience been? And, and why did you start it first of all? And then what's the experience been like? Yeah. So it was, uh, my, my husband was this, you know, spearheaded us starting that. And it was, it's been amazing. Uh, what we like to do when we do, uh, developments is to buy a building, but have a tenant in tow. So a tenant that's going to come in with us and it's the space is is completely built out to them and their needs, their standards, what, what they're going to use it for. Um, and having that, you know, we, we learn the struggles of these companies, you know, whether it's a, a, a brewery or a coffee shop or an almond milk company, you know, they had this idea, they started prototyping and making small batches of these things. And then they, you know, got to a point where they're, they're opening up a brewery or, uh, you know, going to market and selling in grocery stores or, um, you know, selling at like having a storefront that they sell out of. So that journey from initial idea and inception and all the hardships going from startup to physical storefront, that's been the genesis of, of the podcast and the focus. And we've had some really amazing entrepreneurs on with some great stories about why and how they started their companies, what they were, the, they thought the market was missing, why their stuff is different um, and what they've gone through to get it to where it is today. And that's been, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I'm, I imagine like with this, it's helped, this show has helped me in so many ways that the average listener probably has no idea about. I imagine it's the same for you, even in that short oh, yeah. time. Yeah. It, and connecting them to each other. And, yeah. And the connections, right? I think that's, mm-hmm. People who haven't started a podcast, I think that's probably the, and I didn't know this when I started mine, but it has been transformative in my life around the network that I've created in such rapid fashion. I, there's no way I could have created a network like this the old-fashioned way. And this podcast Absolutely. has created a network that is beyond my wildest dreams and continues to grow. So that's that's one of the advantages of it. It's such a great format for that. And I, I do think a lot of people might not be aware of that part. Mm-hmm. So exciting to meet you, Natalia. I see my um I've done everything I can to stop the the blob from taking <laughs> over my my green screen. As you can see, it's starting to worm its way back into our conversation. So maybe this is a good place to end it. But we've been talking for almost fifty minutes. It's been so fun to meet you. I will have links to all of this stuff, uh all your business, the podcast. Uh, your website uh, so people can reach out to you but it's been fun talking to you and i got a lot out of this about the mindset and and best of luck to to your future and hopefully we'll stay in touch thank you rich i appreciate it this has been fun and i I love what you're doing so keep doing it (laughs) all right we'll talk to you soon thank you hey thanks so much for tuning into the show i hope you got some value out of this episode if you did please do me a huge favor tell somebody about this show tell your spouse tell your kids tell your coworkers. let them know about the value that those leadership brings to your world Go to dosaleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, 
I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we're together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.